Hello, Stitchers. Welcome to Stitch Please, the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. I'm your host, Lisa Woolfork. I'm a fourth-generation sewing enthusiast with more than 20 years of sewing experience. I am looking forward to today's conversation, so sit back, relax, and get ready to get your stitch together. And welcome to the Stitch Please podcast. I know y'all must get tired of hearing me saying this. Um, and if this is your first time listening to us, you know that I, you will know that I say this all the time. But I am delighted, thrilled, and honored um, to have the guest that we have talking with us today. I am speaking with Sahara Clemens, who is an artist based in Charlottesville, Virginia, though her work has been exhibited elsewhere. And she is also currently a student at the Rhode Island School of Design. Um, I think they call it RISD. And so I'm happy to have Sahara here. She is a muralist, a painter. Um, She does work in fabric and textiles. She sews. And we have the commonality that we both won the small grant, a soup grant from the New City Arts Initiative here in Charlottesville, Virginia. And when I won my soup award that year, Sahara was the person that handed me the ladle for the soup bowl. So the soup is a really wonderful program that New City Arts does. Um, And basically they invite members of the community to come and eat soup and listen to artists talk about projects. And then the, the audience, the dinner guests vote on the prize or vote on the winning project. And the year before I won, Sahara won. And so when I competed and I won, she gave me the the golden soup ladle. And so it was really wonderful to have, um, to be past the torch so to speak, from the soup conference, from the soup competition or the soup, the soup dinner from her to me. And that was just, that just made a special night even more special. So thank you for handing me the ladle, Sahara, and welcome to the program. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) I was happy to be a part of that experience. And I guess that's sort of, um, the birth of the podcast and thank you so much for having me here. Uh, I've never been on a podcast before, so I'm super excited. Oh, this is great. I'm so glad that I can show you something new because you're always showing me something new. Whenever I look at your art, your paintings, drawings, sculptures, this, the textile design, I'm looking at something new. So the fact that I get to show you something new is a great treat to me. And the soup grant that I won, I, I used the funds, I divided them in half and half was to host an in-person event. I did a pop-up sewing studio. And then the other half was to invest in equipment to make the podcast. So it's like, I'm using my grant. See, look, we have the podcast. It's a real thing. So let's talk a little bit about the soup. Uh, what did you, what did you win when you did the soup? Tell me what you, um, what you won for. And this can help us get started in talking about all the things that you do. So when you applied for the soup, what was your project? Um, yeah. So, um, when I applied for the soup grant, um, I was a part of, um, the incubator program at the McGuffey art center here in Charlottesville. Um, and so for the project, I wanted to use the funds to enhance my art practice by, um, getting a, 
iPad, which has been super helpful. Um, as you know, um, someone who is also a part of the, the soup collective Uzo, um, who has become largely successful now, um, has been giving iPad. And so an iPad has been just such a huge help. And also just to create my work, um, for the incubator show at the end of that year, um, was what I utilized that, um, the grant money for. And so a large part of that was creating, um, a wearable art piece. Um, in addition to, I believe five or six other, um, paintings in the collection. Um, and I just really had a fun time being a part of the soup, um, grand and part of that community and utilizing, um, that place and that space, um, to give back to the community and be a part of the, the incubator program and for people to see my work and, and see, um, what I'm trying to envision for my community, um, as a black woman and, and just, um, all those things that I felt like that particular collection in general really just spoke to, um, my vision and sort of, I guess, my brand as what I'm trying to develop as an artist. Um, and so the soup grant was, was really facilitative of, um, my experiences that are happening right now. Yes. And the thing that I guess, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about, and this is something I would like to learn because I'm, I'm really interested in this kind of technology. How does an iPad help you as an artist? I know this might be a silly question for you to, for you to think about, but for me, I, I had an iPad and I used it to play words with friends in large type. Like that was what my iPad was for. I did a little bit of stuff with the banking maybe, but like I never thought about drawing with it or sketching with it or using it anything beyond like, you know what I mean? And so I'm, I'm wondering, could you talk a bit about what kind of creative processes can an iPad open for people, for artists? Um, yes, absolutely. So, um, an iPad where I use my iPad for is, um, um, I guess usually people use it for digital work, but I also use it for, um, the first initial stages of, um, creating my, my paintings. And so, um, I use the, the app or program procreate, um, and that just helps me to create, um, a basis for my paintings and visualize the, the colorings, um, the portraiture, all those things. And then if I want to tweak anything, I can go back to the drawing board, take pictures of what I currently have, um, on my painting and then put that back into a digital form and then rework it again. And so it's just really, um, a great way to, to know how to strategically, um, make my paintings and make my works, um, and from layer to layer and know what, what process would be the most effective in creating, um, the work. And yeah. And so like, I guess I, I love to think about like, in some ways, like almost the archive of the work lives in the device somehow, like you could have this version and that version and that, you can really translate from this digital space. You can translate from the digital form into a form that's, I guess, maybe analogs that, that exists like out there in the world in a way that's not fully digital. And it makes me think about the ways that you do. You seem to move very seamlessly between painting and 
um, like wearable art, for example. Can can we talk a bit about how you navigate that transition? Like, what is the difference between making a painting and making a garment? Or I think you described this a little bit in your TEDx talk, and I will link. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes, everybody, to Sahara's uh, TEDx talk, so you can hear her talk about art as conversation. But you, I thought that this the pieces that you put together, you this painting and then the garment that you made, they were they really did kind of. It was this beautiful two way street between what some would consider art and maybe what others would consider craft. So how do you connect or how do you shift from a drawing with a pencil on an iPad or an, a, a digital pencil on an iPad and sitting at a sewing machine to make something? Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess like, um, as you reiterated that my, um, Ted, X talk art as conversation, um, really spoke to about how, um, learning as an artist and creating work, um, is, is about, um, having a conversation with yourself and, and seeing how you can, um, um, diverge out into new, um, new ways of making. And so, um, in my art practice, I guess I really have enjoyed, um, both painting and fashion design. And then, um, when I brought those two things together, it just created a whole, um, new way of thinking in terms of just, um, what it means to have, um, art on the body and, and how that, um, what that means in terms of shape and design, um, and how that kind of livens up the work as something that can be, um, worn and, and walked through and lived in. Um, and so I guess going from art as a 2d aspect, um, and going from more of a 3d aspect, the themes are still there. The themes that I'm still trying to cultivate are still there. Um, it's more, so there's just more, um, uh, elements to it. So mm-hmm. going from sewing, there's more of a, a trial and error aspect. Um, as I was saying from procreate, I go in and out from digital, um, to painting, you still have that kind of, um, back and forth in sewing where you have to drape and design and then see how that works. And if it doesn't go back to the drawing board, um, and see what you can come up with. Um, and also just having a whole nother element of just the materiality of, of wearable art, um, in terms of unconventional materials, um, with either, I usually, I love using paper, um, and origami. Those are some things that I usually like to incorporate in my wearable art. Um, in addition to more conventional ways of making like painting, um, and painting on garments is another way I like to, yes, yes, infuse, right. um, my artistry into design. Um, and so I think I, I just always have had a love for, for color and textile, um, in, um, how I carry myself and also, um, just in my paintings. And so I really feel like robot art is just another extension of that. Um, mm-hmm. and so yeah, I'm just, I just like to continue to explore. I really like this phrase you used about art on the body. 
Um, and I, I think that that's even, it's such a beautiful and pre- precise phrase. I mean, you would think wearable art would be the same as art on the body. But for some reason, when you said art on the body, it made me think like, oh, wow, what does it mean to think about a person as a canvas? What does it mean to think about a person as a blank space on which I can either place my art or I guess maybe that's what design is, um, is like, how do you, you know, in the same way like you do for draping, like how do you take these fabrics that really are these, you know, very flat objects and then turn it into something that can really enhance and um, really honor the, the human body or the human form. Do you think a lot about that when you're doing your design work? How do you imagine, like when you approach the form, you know, the human form, the female form, the black female form, how do you, how do you think about the body in, in, in your, in your art, in your wearable art, and maybe even in your painting? And the reason I ask is because when you said wearing art on the body, I thought, I thought instantly of the phrase, the body of art or a body of work. You know what I mean? When people talk about like someone's portfolio or someone's, um, I guess maybe not just a portfolio, it can't be a full body of work, but I guess a body of work seems to suggest a scope um, of, of art and artistic practice. How do you think about like in, you know, since particularly since so much of your, your work is, fen- is centered on black women and black communities, do you have a particular vision in mind Um that you're trying to communicate or express in your painting that might show up different um, or look differently in textiles? Um, Yeah, I mean, I feel like I don't know how much of variation there really is um, because, as you said, looking at my body of work, um, I've seen or I've noticed in in my practice that I've really wanted to cultivate is um, the idea of of, um, what art is um, in terms of looking at the the woman figure and how um, historically that has largely been looking at at nude figures and, and how I've kind of wanted to shift that in a way of, of showing the beauty of women also in terms of looking at clothing and how those two things interact with, with materiality and the skin. Um, and so with both, um, my 2D works, I have felt that there has still been a sense of, of design. Um, um, my work entitled woman in the clouds was actually initially a fashion rendering. Um, really? Yes. It, <laughs> it was not an, at first a, an intention to be, um, more so it was like, a, a kind of meshing of what I was thinking inside in terms of my experience as a black woman, but also in terms of my love of design and how those things kind of, uh, meshed together was what became that piece. And what really started this idea in terms of what I wanted to um, kind of take forth in terms of our experiences of women and experiences of black women, um, as, as kind of bodies of vulnerability and, and, and changing that in a way where, um, giving life to these, these people, um, by adding or, or just like intertwining it with, um, 
art and, and design and fashion and how those things, um, all go hand in hand in terms of expression of the self, um, expression of our identity. And, and for me personally, as you said, I am a little bit of an introvert. And so I've always used fashion as a way to speak out. And so uh, that continues with my artwork and, um, wearable art. So, um, I feel like there's not much of, of, it's more of, I guess, like a spectrum or it's a more of a blurred line, um, in terms of what, what, um, is the process or what is the end result? What is the difference between the, the, my work and and 2d work versus, um, my wearable art or fashion design? I really, I, I really absolutely love the the rising of the the woman in the clouds piece, and I'm, I'm I keep wanting to call it rising above because the article about the mural calls it rising above new Sahara Clemens mural depict, depicts the strength of black women. And so I was thinking rising above was the name of the piece. And it's not, it's, as you said, woman in the clouds. And, but what I love about it is I can see now that you, you mentioned it, how it could be, um, like I said, you said a fashion study because that fabric that the woman in the, um, is wearing on the reclining, you know, when she's reclining and holding a lightning bolt in her hand, that fabric is gorgeous. And I was like, Oh, I would like some of that. I wonder if that's real fabric that she found or if she's going to just design some fabric. Um, it's really just beautiful. It's just so beautiful. And you can really tell, um, the things that you're describing about the, the depth, the texture, um, the textuality, you know, all of those things show up there. Tell me a bit about, um, the lightning bolt that she's holding. What, what is that harnessing? Is that about power? Is it about light? Is it about joy? Is it about this? There's something so beautiful about the way you've incorporated natural elements like the, you know, with the sun and the light and the clouds. Can you talk a bit about what it means to hold lightning? Yeah. Um, so, um, for my mural, I guess I really wanted to embody a kind of an ethereal aspect, um, to the piece. Um, and so, um, the, the title of the mural is say her name. And, um, so I wanted the, the lightning bolt to kind of signify a kind of a harnessing of of power. Um, but, but, um, also kind of a sense of, um, of reflection and, and, um, uh, a sense of, of just like knowing the, the path of what it, what it means to be a black woman, what that intersectionality of, of race and gender, what, and, um, how that kind of culminates into an experience, um, that can, that can be challenging, that can be difficult and adversarial and, and knowing that, and also, um, so recognizing the power that one holds, um, as something that is, that is delicate and and should be used wisely. Um, and so, um, I wanted kind of that, that harmony to, to be reflected through the use of, um, the lightning bolt, the moon and, and the sun that are all evident, um, in, in the piece, um, in her, her garmentry, in her accessorizing. And of, of course, as you said, her, her power lightning bolt beam. You, you know what else I love about the piece is that I like how she's reclining. Um, and I feel like 
um, well, te- well, I can my th- I can tell you my thought. I'm, actually, I was gonna I was gonna tell you my thought about the reclining, but maybe I should hear your thought first, or do you want to hear my thought about the reclining, and then you'll tell me what the right answer is. Um, I will say I would want to hear your um, I guess answer, but I guess I would say that as I said, art is a conversation, so. No, there is no right answer. There is only just exploration and extension of what we see in the art. And then it, it, it kind of creates its own, its own answer within everyone else. Oh, you are so smart. I bet you're up there killing them up there at RISD. I mean, really, that is a beautiful answer. <laughs> um, okay, so what I thought when I saw her reclining, I was just thinking about the importance of Black women and rest. And how um, I know there's a project that I love um, called the NAP Ministry, and it's a black woman led actually theological project where she is on a mission for um, to educate black people. And I think everybody, but black people in particular, about, you know, the dangers of capitalism and how it it extracts labor from us and how we're not allowed to rest, Um, that she sees basically rest as reparation. She sees rest as resistance. It's it's really a beautiful project. And so I was like to see this woman like reclining on her side in uh, in nature, in in a natural environment and still to be so powerful. It just felt to me like. I don't know. There was just something in there that seemed really valuable. And for me, since I am looking at it right, like right this minute, like in a small format on a computer screen, instead of seeing it live and big, um, I, I couldn't tell if her eyes were opened or closed. And on my screen, because it's, again, it's a small computer, um, her eyes look closed. But then when you look, when I look closely, they're open. And so there's something about the idea that you can imagine her with her eyes closed. You can imagine her with her eyes open. Um, but there's something about the idea of, of rest and how with, you know, the power that Black women do have, but how there's always, it seems to be an expectation that we're kind of constantly moving. And there was something about having this person be still, you know, and just like, I don't know, relishing her power, which is so great that she doesn't even have to sit up or stand up to wield it. It just comes to her naturally. I don't know. That's, that's just, that was what I thought. That's what I saw in it. What, what do you, I don't know when you create a piece like this, do you, and do you have intentions that say, okay, instead of having her standing or sitting in a chair or in profile, I'm going to position her body this way. Does that um, impact how you start to, you know, shape out um, or sketch out a painting? Yes, it absolutely does. Um, Her, her position was actually a very hard um, thing for me to act um, to finalize. Um, But all the things that you said previously, those were things that I was thinking about. And she was in fact, always sitting um, when I was doing the sketches, she was always in a reclining um, position. Um, But I just needed to figure out the best way I wanted to um, express those themes of of rest and, and that, um, the kind of, uh, exploitation we get, um, of black women and, and our, our, our work and our labor. And so my, um, mother was a big inspiration for this piece. Um, and, and just the things that she does in the Charlottesville community, um, and her, her relationship with me, all those things, um, 
things that impacted the way that I was creating the mural and how I wanted to, to showcase this, this, um, this kind of, um, unveiling of, of what it, what it means, um, to, to be a black woman. And, and especially in this time, um, of, of this, this unrest, um, where, um, how people react, um, to, um, to, not, not necessarily, um, new, new things that are happening within the black community and, and how that impacts the black community, um, in terms of, of everyone, um, kind of the gaining this, this uprising, um, and, and how it's, 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 it's tiring and it's glorious. We're all, we're all dealing, um, with, with this, this history of racial injustice and how, and how it's happening now. Um, it, it's just difficult to, to keep up, um, with, with, um, the power that we hold in terms of, in terms of education and resistance and, and activism. Um, but, but also just our own, um, interpersonal dealings with these things. Um, and so that was really what I wanted to culminate in, in her, in her position, um, in, in the lightning bolt and, and, um, just the entirety of the piece. I think that, I think you really, you, you really achieved everything that you're describing and more. And as you said, whenever somebody sees this, they are going to have a dialogue with it or a conversation with it, with their own, in their own imagination. And it was so funny, Sahara, when you were just speaking and you said the word unrest, that was the first time I actually heard the, the root rest in that word. We talk about civil unrest as if usually society is at rest. And society is not often at rest because we have so many, so many damaging and vexed systems that are constantly plaguing the lives of many people, especially those who've been marginalized in some way. And so it makes me just think about unrest, the relationship between unrest and rest and activism and the burdens, as you were describing, that, that, that just impinge on the lives of black people all the time. Um, and that, you, I don't know, it's just, it was just such a really beautifully, it was just so beautifully put. So thank you so much for sharing that. I want to take a quick break, everybody. And when we come back, we will, I want to ask her about design school and what that's like, because it sounds like it's a lot of fun. Stay tuned. The Stitch Please podcast is really growing. Um, I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and ask a favor. If you are listening to this podcast on a medium that allows you to rate it or review it, for example, Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please do so. If you're enjoying the podcast, if you could drop me a five-star rating, if you um, have something to say about the podcast um, and you wanted to include that, a couple sentences in the review box of Apple makes a really big difference in how the podcast is evaluated by Apple, how it becomes more visible. It really is a way to kind of lean into the algorithm that helps to rank podcasts. Um, so if you had time to do that, to drop a little line in the review feature of the podcast, that would be really appreciated and it would help us to grow even further and faster. We 
We are back and you are listening to the Stitch Please podcast. I'm Lisa Wolfork, your host, and I am talking with Sahara Clemens, who is an artist, designer, sewist, um, a theoretician, an activist, and she is doing all of this um, and continuing her studies at the Rhode Island School of Design, where she is heading into her, is this your second year? Yes. And she's heading into her second year. Can we talk a bit about RISD? I I went to I did my undergraduate education at a small women's college in Boston, and that was the first time I had ever heard about RISD. And I just what I had heard was that it was the premier school for art and design. Now I have since learned that there's other schools of art and design, but I think because I learned about RISD first, it's off. It's I, I, I think I learned about RISD about the same age that you are right now. And so because of that, I think it's implanted in my mind as, Oh, RISD design school, the end. Um, <laughs> I since learned that there's like, you know, there's Pratt and there's this, and there's, you know, there's schools in New York, there's schools everywhere. You know, that I, I just talked with a woman a, a few months ago, who's fantastic, who went to Mississippi state university. They, they have them at the, they're, they're design schools all over. Um, tell me about why, why RISD and what RISD has, um, like what, what your experience has been like there? Um, so I, um, man, I guess <laughs> it's a little weird going. I know it's, it's so weird. It's a big, it's a weird, big question <laughs> on the, on the heels of a weird big year. And so like, this is, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to say what it's even been like, right. Considering that it's probably been like a lot of things and then coronavirus happened and then it became something else all in, something else entirely. Right. So Maybe ask, well, just do you think you could formulate something about like just the overall? And then maybe I might ask you about like some courses that you really liked. Um, absolutely. So I, I guess overall, I had a very wonderful experience at RISD. Um, I, I guess it's, it's a little difficult to go back to, to senior year and, and making that decision of, of what um, college I was going to go to. But um, I really just love the RISD community. Um, and I don't know, I guess there's just something, something about it, something about Rhode Island, something about Providence that I really enjoyed. Um, and I also just really loved, um, my first year in terms of how much it challenged me. Um, of course you have the, the normalcies of, of college in terms of independence, um, and, and, and being by yourself for the first time and what that means in, in terms of, um, just living on your own and, and, um, and being responsible, but also just, um, being in an art school in particular and, and how, um, you go through, I guess to me, it felt like a little bit of project runway where you had three projects a week and, um, you had to, you had to quickly figure out what you wanted to do and, and, and hope for the best. <laughs> I think that you just sold everybody on RISD. I, I think all the sewists who are, who listen to me regularly are like, Oh wait, I could go to a college that's like project runway and they'll give me like, here's your challenge designers. And like, like that, that, that sounds really exciting. It, I mean, it, it definitely was. I, I really felt like I learned a lot from my peers um, and and my professors. Um, I felt like I don't know. I think that when you're when you're on your own as an artist, it, you you can easily um, stagger into um, 
into like a, a, a hole. Um, and, and if you don't really know what, what questions to be asking yourself. Um, and so I feel like that's what RISD did for me is, is help me, um, um, figure out what those questions were and, and, um, ways to solve them, um, and produce things that I, I wouldn't have of, produced before. Um, and so I think that's just the beauty of art school is that, um, you get this time that is, that is just, um, freedom, um, um, that you can experience where when you're on your own, it, it feels like you, you have some sort of expectation for yourself, um, to create, um, something that fits what fits into your brand fits in, into what you have been showing before. Um, whereas in school, it's, it's a whole different ball game. You can do whatever you want. You can experiment and, um, you can fail. Um, and so mm-hmm. I, I always felt like when I was there, I never wanted to look at things that people had done in the past. If, if it was offered, um, to look at samples, I never wanted to do that because I didn't want to get an expectation of what, um, I had to do or what should be done. Um, and, and just see what, what my peers had created in that moment. Um, and so I think that really helped. Um, I think that was really beneficial, um, for me. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess like socially I, I had, I had a really interesting time at RISD. I felt like I was able to, to get out of my shell a bit and, um, make a great group of friends. And I learned a lot about myself, um, and, and how I navigate around the world or just around people and, and just, um, kind of get a greater understanding. And so, um, college is difficult, <laughs> um, yes. on, on yes. multiple levels. Um, and so I, I learned that, um, pretty quickly. And so I'm, I'm really glad, um, I don't feel like I would have changed something about my first year experience um, because I think it definitely was, was, was critical for me to learn those lessons. Um, and so, um, but I guess the one thing I would say um, that I had had difficulty with is the, actually when I did have more of a, a choice to, to um, align things with uh, the themes of my work and what I'm doing currently, um, and how, um, the racial themes in my work, how that played into, um, what we have critiques, um, at RISD. So, um, um, there's often, I didn't know this, um, until actually after, um, the end of my first year is that there is a common, uh, silence in this critique where it's based around racial themes and artwork. And so I always thought it was just, uh, me or something, but it's, it's a whole entire thing, um, that, that is, that happens, um, in terms of how we speak up about race and how we, um, this, this kind of sensitivity that's happening nowadays in terms of how we talk about race. Um, and so how that reflects in, in art classes is, um, very interesting and is actually very impactful to, um, an artist's experience. And so that would be one thing that I would hope, um, would get better, um, at RISD and would, would hopefully, um, Mm -hmm. would, um, just bring, bring more forefront or more priority in terms of, um, educating and just seeing how we can change this dynamic, um, Mm -hmm. in terms of being afraid to speak, um, on racial issues. 
And did you did you find that concern as part of the peer review process, or did you find that from faculty as well? Did it go in both directions? I know that, and I know I ask because I know that in institutions across the country, people are trying to figure out how to incorporate these kind of conversations into all aspects of the curriculum. Um, people in architecture schools are thinking about it. People in art schools are thinking about it. People in English departments are thinking about it in math. And it's not that people are trying, that institutions, at least some quarters within institutions are trying to say, how can we, how can we prevent, how, my, I can't speak for people. How about I speak for myself? For myself, as a professor, as someone who teaches literature and culture, I want to ask my students, how can we have these conversations? How can we think through these problems in ways that actually disrupt and dismantle these systems that have been harming all of us for, you know, some people has been harming black people to really severe degrees, but these are also similarly harmful to white people too. Um, how do we disrupt these if we can't even begin to have if we can't, if we, if, if people are saying things like, when I look at you, I don't see color. Um, if they feel like somehow a critique about racism and white supremacy is impolite. Um, and so I'm wondering, did you notice a reticence among, was it among, like, where did the reticence come from? And, you know, I'm sh perhaps you perceive it as a well-intentioned reticence, but and maybe you don't want to say like, well, it was this teacher in this class. I'm sure you wouldn't want to do that. But, um, but like, do, do you see what I'm asking? Like, you know, I remember from my own college experience, like going and people, I, I went to a school in the, in the North up in a small school in Boston and they, the students that I met, even the same was same was true of graduate school. A lot of them didn't have a lot of experience with black people, you know, and so like they didn't know what to say or they didn't know how to talk. And that was very frustrating for me because I had been black my whole black life and had known nothing but black people. And so I knew we weren't like, you know, something that you had. We were, we were we were people just like people. Right. And so I don't know. It was just it's just weird to kind of be in these types of environments and think about ways to navigate something that was really just your daily life. Um, and so that kind of, that was a kind of a surprising thing for me. Did that show up for you in ways, um, that, that might have, that might shape your artistic practice moving forward? Um, I mean, I, I feel like it's, it's, um, it's just knowing, um, how, how, where you can, where you can, um, just get, get that feedback and, and get that advice. And, and that's really kind of where, where the, the root is, is, um, it is both, both peers and professors alike and, and how, um, what are things that could, um, be worked up to, to change the diet? What are things that we can just automatically say to just relieve the tension in the room, um, mm -hmm. and then re pick up the conversation. Um, so, I'm, I've been lucky to have people in my life that have been able to respond to my work and, 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 and tell me what, what things, things are working and things are not because, um, it's, it's, it's difficult when you're, when you're talking about these, these themes that you need to know, like, these are your, your key audience, people who, who don't know how to articulate these things. And you're trying mm -hmm. to express that. How do you know if it is coming across? How do you know if they can build on the conversation? If, if they, they won't 
they won't connect with, with it, but if they won't partake in the conversation themselves. And so is that, if you have to ask, is that something that you have, have created in, on your part? Is that something that you have built, um, with your work or, or is that something that is, that is larger than that? Is it something that is more of a systematic thing in, in which case that needs to be resolved? Um, and so that's a challenging part of it when you're dealing with, um, art, um, is that it's a, it's a fine line in terms of what, what we speak on, how do we speak on good racial, racially based, um, art? Like, what does that actually Mm -hmm. mean? Um, and so, um, I guess that that's just something that really needs to be, um, kind of looked at further in terms of the art curriculum is, is how do we, um, not just develop the skills, um, but also just, just develop more of, um, of more education in terms of, of what we're trying to articulate in our work. Um, because not, not everyone knows we have our own experiences, but I, I know for sure that I don't know everything. (laughs) Right. I know know everything. And so, um, when you're dealing with these themes, you could, um, you can only go so far on your own. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that when you're talking about an art curriculum, one of the things that I would think would be important is that, you know, that black people aren't the only people who have race. White people are raced as well. And so if someone can say, oh, this is racial art because it's from a black person, then when, when white people produce art that is similarly racial because white people have race. That's, some, that's something that Toni Morrison talked a lot about was that white people sometimes forget that they are a race, that they have race and they carry that with them and it impacts everything they do, just like our race impacts everything that we do. And so that type of invisibility or that type of naturalization of whiteness shows up in so many aspects of, and, and this, this is what the consequence of living in a white supremacist society that it's it's not like I, I tell students white supremacy isn't just Klansmen. It's this assumption that everything is white and that white then becomes neutral and the default so that we don't have to talk about it because it's not marked and therefore it doesn't exist. All of that is just some dangerous mental gymnastics that operate in a way that centers whiteness everywhere. Um, you know what I wanted to ask you about I really love the artist conversation. And so I guess I'm, I'm, I'm turning a little bit to talk about what it means for you as an artist who is also, who also identifies or describes herself as an introvert. How hard is that? Like, that seems like that would be like, is that hard? Is it, is it easy? Is it, does it, does it help to kind of fuel your creativity because you are reserved in the way that you interact with other people? How did, or, or does it not make a difference? Um, I would say it, um, unconsciously, I'm sure it does make a difference. I mean, we are who we are, but, um, I would say that I think that my art in, in the way I, I process and how I, how I make art, um, my introversion has, has definitely played a role in, in terms of just how, um, I, I see the world and how I see, um, and how I'm, I'm just, I observe. And then also just how I, I, um, feel, I like, um, how I kind of parallel my introversion with my artwork. And so I, I feel like I've always, um, 
wanted to have a sense of, of, of subtlety, um, just and discretion in my work. Um, but also a sense of, of, of boldness and, and, um, Biden symbols and, and kind of motifs in my work, um, to, to act as sort of an, of some sense of expression of the themes. And so I think both of those things are what, um, I try to capitalize on. And so, um, creating work is, is definitely a difficult task because I'm always asking myself, is, is this something, um, that is, that is, um, archetypal is, is this something that's universal or is, is this something that will come across? Um, and so I, I feel like I've always wanted to, to say, um, more, by saying less. Um, um, and so I've I've, um, always wanted to do that in, in my work. And I feel like that, that ties into how I am, um, personality wise. Um, and so, yeah, I, I guess, I guess I feel like I've, I've always been a little quiet, but I also feel like that has been an, been an asset it it really it really it is working out so beautifully for you and you are still at the early part of your journey and that's why i'm so delighted to be able to speak with you today i wanted to just close with what's next for you i see that in a couple of days you have something called art against the clock yes yeah um i will be um at the bridge art against the clock um on sunday um, 2.30 p.m., I'll be doing a live stream of a piece. Um, and so you can, it's a fundraiser, so you can send tips into the bridge. Um, and whoever um, has the largest tip will be getting um, an SGC original. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really, I'm super excited. I This is, I guess, this is a part of my introversion. I'm a little uh, freaked out in terms of, of, showing the process of my work. Um, sometimes I feel like it's a bit of a hindrance for, for someone to see my work, me doing it. Um, but, um, yeah, so this will be an interesting experience. Um, so right now, I guess I've been trying to take a little bit of time to do some personal, um, work before I go to school. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely excited to do a, a live stream of, of, uh, a painting. So yeah. That sounds very fun and very brave for someone who um, describes herself as an introvert. I think, and I think that's going to be streamed on Facebook Live. And I'm like, oh, I get to see it. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> um, and so, no, I just wanted. And where else? Where can people find you on so on the socials? Where can people find you if they want to look at some of your images and um, purchase some art? Like, where where's the best way people can reach you? Um, so they can reach me on Instagram at SGC originals. Um, I'm in the works of creating a website. Um, so I guess stay tuned to that. Um, but yes, and currently, um, commissions are open. Um, but that is, a I guess, a, a, really minute time span. <laughs> yeah, um, very, yeah. By the time you've heard this program, she will no longer be accepting commission. <laughs> so, um, yes, there you go. 
That's fantastic. Sahara, thank you so much. We, 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 you all, we've been listening to Sahara Clemens, who is an artist, designer, fashion designer, muralist. Uh, and in her second year at the Rhode Island School of Design, you can find her work on Instagram. And um, she has limited, limited availability for commissions. Thank you so much, Sahara, for joining us today. We're so grateful. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to the Stitch Please podcast the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. We appreciate you supporting us by listening to the podcast. If you'd like to reach out with, to us with questions, you can contact us at blackwomenstitch at gmail.com. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do that by supporting us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and you can find Black Women Stitch there in the Patreon directory. And for as little as $2 a month, you can help support the project with things like editing, transcripts, and other things to strengthen the podcast. And finally, if financial support is not something you can do right now, you can really, really help the podcast by rating it and reviewing it anywhere you listen to podcasts that allows you to review them. So I know that not all podcasts Um, directories or services allow for reviews but for those who do for those that have like a star rating or just ask for a few comments if you could share those comments and say nice things about us at the stitch please podcast that is incredibly helpful thank you so much come back next week and we'll help you get your stitch together